What's going on, everybody? This is another episode of the High Definition Pod. This podcast it is on Maurice. I'm Therese. And we're back for another episode. Uh, I'm going to skip some of the preliminaries. We're going to skip all that. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I am going to say is, as usual, uh, we are a platform that's all about having a conversation. Uh, one thing I haven't said in a while, we are also a platform that tries to promote critical thinking. Yep. Uh, we do our best to try to come from a biblical worldview. We don't get it right all the time. Uh, but if you agree with us or whether you disagree with us, or we want to hear from you. Uh, you'll see somewhere up in here, somewhere when uh, this video is posted, you'll see a link tree that'll be linked to um, all of our social media. You have our email. Uh, please hit us up. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, we want to hear from you. The only thing we're not going to tolerate is we don't tolerate disrespect. Block party. <laughs> VIP invitation. VIP. Right. So without further ado, uh, as y'all can see, we have a guest on with us. Uh, for this episode, we have none other than Mr. Uh, Javertus Burnett. Uh, how you doing today, sir? Man, I am doing wonderful, fellas. How y'all doing? Wow. Doing, doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. So, um, the way I most guests we have on, first question out the gate. Where does your story begin? Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, what field you're in, and then you know we're gonna go straight on into the conversation. Yeah, so uh, my story begins in a little town called Norwood, Georgia. Uh, I am one of four kids uh, raised by a single mom uh, who made less than $600 a month to take care of four kids. And I, I, I say that just because of the nature of the conversation that we're going to be having today, right? And so there's just so much stuff that we, we were so poor, we didn't know we were poor. Like, we were the poor kids that the poor kids gave their stuff to. Mm. <laughs> like, like, we were those kids. And, um, and, and so really, man, um, fast forward to today, I work in the financial services space. So I'm a registered, licensed financial professional. Um, I own a finance, I'm partnered with the financial services firm. I also own a coaching firm where we help entrepreneurs grow, scale, and automate their businesses. And um, it all started from me and my younger brother, at seven, eight, nine years old, just wanting to help mama. So she didn't have to look at us and say no all the time. So we started our first business and started saving money at eight years old, cutting grass at our church and raking leaves and stuff like that, man. And, and just, I just wanted to know how money works. And, um, and that led me to, to what I do now. Didn't even know this was a career. Uh, so, so yeah. So um, husband, father, uh, how long you been love, been, September be 11 years. So September be 11 years. Uh, love what you said earlier. Absolutely love critical thinking and, um, and, and being able to actually have conversations that are meaningful, that can help us all be better tomorrow than we were today. So I'm excited to dive in with you fellas. Good deal. So if y'all haven't, y'all see what field he's in. He's in the financial field. Uh, of course, um, our nation, or really the whole world, is in a somewhat of a financial upheaval. <laughs> yeah. However you want to call it. So I guess what would be something, I guess, how would you say we've kind of gotten to this place? Just, just kind of bring some balance, kind of get everybody kind of on the same page for, before we kind of go into it. So what what do you think, how do you think we really got here? What's, to the point that we're at now, if you can kind of speak to it from a financial standpoint. So from a financial standpoint, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, 
I'll, I'll talk about it from a from a, a more global perspective. And then if you guys are willing and are open to it, uh, I, I would like to talk about it briefly from a specifically African-American perspective, because as my grandma used to say, uh, when the world catch a cold, we get pneumonia. Mm. Right. Um, so I, I had a question for that one, too. So what you <laughs> oh, yeah. so, I mean, let's go macro. Then we're so. So I think um, the issues are the same, right? The issues are the same, I believe, when it comes to how we get where we are. Um, and there, there, there are a couple of things. Number one is a gross mismanagement of resources. Um, yes. Mismanagement of resources. Um, we're not the only folks not managing our stuff right. Like there is a... There are governmental entities mismanagement of resources. So that, that's the first thing. Number two is one of the things, again, I'm from the country, y'all, so y'all got to bear with me. Uh, I learned everything I learned is deep, deep, deep country. So I got a whole bunch of old country sayings that I would say all the time. I'm a robot, right? so I tell them. Hey, so, so too much of anything can be a bad thing, mm -hmm. right? And so anything that we create in abundance and in excess, we start to devalue. So when you think about our money and our capital systems, and we just print money, 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 it becomes a devalue, devalue, devalue. Now, I personally, these are my views and my views only. These are not the views of Reveal Well or no, none of my other partners. These are just JB views. Disclaimer. Um, right? That's a little disclaimer, right? right? So we got that out there. But when... Ah, it's so hard. See, I talked about this. I talked about this in the pregame, this whole political thing, right? So, so another piece of that is politics. Mm -hmm. And when decisions are made, they're typically made to benefit business owners, landowners, and decision makers. And everybody else just kind of have to deal with it, right? And so I think we got here by gross mismanagement of funds. We got here by printing money like it's paper. Um, and we got here out of classic political upheaval, like just political clashes and people being more concerned about their political affiliations than they are about the people that they lead. Mm -hmm. And so when we govern a people to try to usurp our political dominance, and it's, and it's been done on both sides, Democrat and Republican. So everybody's at blame. It ain't just one party over the other. I agree. When we make decisions that impact people's future to get for, for votes, we dumb it down to votes. We almost sell our souls as a nation. And that's, that's one of the things that we're, that, that we're dealing with. From a spiritual perspective, because uh, shout out to my man, Sean Glover, who connected us. You know, I'm a man of faith and I, I love you said something that struck me talking about looking at this from a political worldview, everything from a political worldview, biblical. from a political. I mean, I mean, from a biblical worldview, <laughs> from a biblical perspective, from a biblical perspective. It's kind of like. Almost a perfect storm, almost. Right. Because the first thing is. One of the one of my favorite scriptures, I think I when and we look at Isaiah six, Isaiah nine, talks about the birth of Christ and talking about him coming in and he'll be called Emmanuel, he'll be called wonderful counsel. And it says that that he'll be 
the government will be upon his shoulders, yeah. right? And of his reign, there, there won't be any end. Yeah. Here's the challenge. And, and if I, from my biblical worldview, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and as a Christian, I sit the bulk of the blame at the church. Ooh. Even economically. I'm going to say expound upon that. Right? So think about this. When we think about the church in general, the Bible says that we are a body. We are literally the body of Christ as a church, as an institution, as a Catholic universal church. We are the body of Christ. If the government's place of rest is on Christ's shoulders, but we're disjointed and disconnected, the government doesn't have a stable place to sit. And so as the government begins to rest on Christ's shoulders, the disjointedness in the gaps come through and we're now seeing a failing governmental system because we got governments trying to do what churches should do and churches trying to be like the world, gaining influence and relevance and being influencers socially without impacting people naturally and physically in the, in the, in the flesh. It's saying it. And, and, and it distorts our entire financial system and causes collapse because now you got inadequate governments trying to do what the church should be and are very well capable of stepping up and doing. Maurice. So. Maurice, you just said <laughs> a lot of what we've said on the pod and in private conversation. And I can't, we, you know, I can't have these come, like, you know, I mean, the, the, the folks I represent, the Black Rocks and the Fidelity and all these people in the world, like, they're, 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 I, can't, I can't have these conversations when I'm talking with them. So when, you, when you, when you said biblical worldview, so I'm like, let's, let's, let's get into it. So, but that's, that's, the, that's, that's where I feel the problem starts. Hmm. Um, that's where I feel the problem starts. Wow. So, bro, go, take, before I, no, go ahead, go, 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 go. I'm not gonna stop you today, go ahead. <laughs> no, because because now because the door you just opened, we can go we can go about two or three separate routes. Take a route. What you just said about the church, about the government being on us being the body of Christ. So if we dig into that more, where do you think we as the body can fall? And from your view, like you said, this is not the views of the company you work for. Mm -hmm. uh, JB, mm -hmm. in your views, what do you what do you feel like the church has failed on that end? On what, as far as the body is concerned, or as far as, far as when we go as it directs, as it connects directly to finances, as it as it connects to finances, and even if we go into the governmental, I know that's not your your specialty, but. You have had conversations with government officials. So. Yeah. <laughs> I just got back from DC like Same. a month and a half ago. Same. <laughs> having these having conversations with cabinet members and with congressmen and leaders um, just about the decisions that they make and how it impacts everyday people. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so yeah, we we had those conversations. So from from the church's perspective, as it pertains to the financial, I think it's 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 a it's a couple of things. N number one. I think we neglect making the main thing the main thing and understanding even biblically, like there is a biblical roadmap to financial peace and financial stability that God's laid out. 
And it starts with us understanding that everything belongs to God. Right. When we can, I think that, so that's the first thing. The, the church is somewhere lost sight of the fact that everything belongs to God. And that God's given us the ability to create wealth, that God's given us creative ideas and witty ideas and invention, that all wisdom, knowledge and understanding comes from God. When we have when we properly understand that everything belongs to God and we understand our positioning in God, we go from striving to try to attain stuff to knowing that the stuff is already ours. Mm. Right. And that deals with the church's that helps us deal with and come back the church's greed, the church's lust, the church's inabilities to actually have conversations about finances and politics and want to be silent on the sideline because, again, we're hoping we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to rub nobody the wrong way, all because we don't want to mess up our money. But when Ooh. we understand God, everything belongs to God. The God that we serve and we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Yeah. And if that's the case, we don't have to jockey in politics to be stable financially. We just got to walk the principles that our father has already given us and access to everything he has. We have. But we've end up we end up trading that in. We end up trading. It's funny. Me and some buddies, um, some of my buddies was talking about this this weekend. Um, I feel like we end up being like Esau and Jacob, we, as a church, we end up trading in our birthright for a bowl of soup. We're hoping that the world accepts us and we're, we're supposed to be influencing them yet. They're influencing us and we're giving. And, and so now we can't have financial independence as a ministry and as a church and as a whole, you know, there are pockets of churches here and there that got some stuff going on. I'm talking about as a whole, we can't have that because now I'm dependent on this governmental system to give me this or to give me that or to do this for me or to do that for me. And we've lost track of the lost track of the fact that our father in heaven owns everything. The earth is Lord's, the food is there. Everything is his. He gives us the ability to obtain wealth. And I, and I know that's simple and it's simplistic, but that's the start of the, of, of the issue for the church, us not recognizing and it goes even beyond money. Like churches, we want to take ownership of people. We don't own these people. These ain't our members or our this or our that, our build. Like everything belongs to God. Right. And when we lose sight of that, we lose that we 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 lose that very foundation needed to have a strong financial stance. Yeah. When we try to shift from stewards to owners illegally, and now we start now we stealing from God, and and not actually taking our rightful place as heirs. Wait. Dude, I mean, I, <laughs> don't you know it. I got, look, I'm a, I have like general questions about stuff. They ain't got nothing to do with what you're talking about right now. Huh. But, but no, but, man. Because, so it's, I'm, I'm being kind of redundant, but um, shout, no, out to, shout out to my pastor, Apostle Ryan um, McGimsey. One thing you just said, he he said in the past, the churches made made it almost like we're drug dealers. Where, where we own, well, we own this or we own this territory. We own these people. Yeah. And if we were really, I, I heard I heard another another preacher say, I can't remember specifically who it was, but I remember I was listening to a clip or something that they said. 
if we as the as the body really stuck to the principles of scripture and what Jesus taught, we would have such the authority and the power that we would have when it comes when it comes to making financial decisions. Because there are people that are in the body of Christ who, who are in government positions who make financial decisions. There are those who making policy decisions. If we will all really stick to the scriptures, and the scriptures are not Republican and they're not Democrat. Not at all. If we really stuck to what the scriptures say, when it comes to we, we, the church as a whole, could literally say, "Okay, this is what this is what God says needs to be happening according to scripture, and this is how we need to go about it." Is that if you as a candidate are not going to do that, we're not going to vote for you. We're not going to back you. We're not going to support you. We would literally have we would literally have that much authority and power, but we don't. Mm -hmm. We are more so. It's this side or that side instead of us being on God's side. Yeah. I mean, even even when you think about the early church, right? The reason why the early church was so powerful, they had all things coming. Yeah. Right. There was no lack among them. Every they, every they had everything in common. Right. When you move like that and you you linked up with families and y'all got y'all all got the same come and go, same come and desire. Nobody had a need. The early church, they made sure that that the folks was getting fed. They made sure that people had a place to live. They made sure. And they were able to do that because they were all on the same page. They were all on one accord. Yeah. They brought their resources together. They did business together. They did even when even when we see Jesus calling his first apostles, he's calling he's calling them and he's using an illustrative example when they're fishing. And what happens with, with James and John when their boat starts sinking, they call over Andrew and vote, hey, bring your boat yeah. over here, right? We got we got so much fish. We have so much, re like this was these people businesses, right? Right, this was their livelihood, their businesses. And the first thing they did, they didn't try to, to hoard it all. Like if they had tried to hoard it all, they literally would have died and drowned. Like the boat started sinking. Right. The Bible says that they, they caught so many fish that their nets started breaking and their boat started sinking. They called their partner fishermen over. Hey, y'all drop right here. This is the spot. It's hot. Drop right here. Right. When Jesus does this, it is both it is both uh, illustrative of what he wants to create in them to be fishers of men. But it's also. A, I believe, and I put that this kind of, this, I believe when you look at it, and I believe scripture backs it up. But when you look at that, it's also Jesus saying, hey, I know this is your profession. I'm about to change your life, but I want to make sure your family's financially stable before you go. That's good. It's literal and metaphorical. Me literal and metaphorical. Yeah, that's good. He's like, we're going we gonna to make sure your family, this, that wasn't, they weren't catching fish to go have a fish fry and have a block party. This was their profession. He's like, okay, y'all about to follow me, but go make sure your folks okay first. Let 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 let's let's get what your business is worth, right? Jesus was always concerned and intentional about making sure that people's physical needs were met. Like, don't pray for me, right? And tell me, you know, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. Be blessed. Be proud. like, no, I'm hungry. Feed me, right? I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. I need shelter. I need clothing. I need these things. And if we're not, if we're not intentional and if we're not careful, 
we're going to allow the things that's going on in the world and us jockeying for position and trying to play the political limbo against black, white, Hispanic, whatever the case might be, we're going to allow that to cause us as a church to become financially desperate and we're going to lose all the little power that we do have. Yeah. Right? Yo. I'm speechless, man. Because everything that you had just said, I have been shouting this for the past three months. Wow. I have no financial background. I mean, other than my finances, but, you know. Yeah. But it's good to hear this from a, a person who deals with finances. Because yeah. we have this conversation all the time. But we, we, it's funny how we have people on and they say the same exact stuff that we say in private. Um, on the podcast, it's just, it's just confirmation. Like, and when when this and when this premieres, this is literally our first time. Aside from us talking on the phone, this is our first time meeting. We've never had a conversation. Never. No. So you know what I'm saying. So I mean, that's <laughs> okay. So one of the things you just you just uh, mentioned too, you were where you kind of alluded to was like how we when we hoard. It's, it's it's always gonna have have a negative impact on those, on everybody else around us. It's best for us to, you know, be willing to give out, be willing to share. Let's go. We we're just talking from a macro. Let's kind of take it down to a micro because as everybody can see, if you're listening to us on audio, we are all three black men, all three of us. So when <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to us in the African American community, what's your thoughts? What's your why do you think we are and it's not all of us, but for the most part, why do you think we are in the financial financially state, destitute? Financial state of <laughs> winning because let, oh, man. so and, and before you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm out of both of us. I'm kind no, of I'm kind that guy. I'm kind of the numbers go ahead. out of both of us. So, Lord, I just lost it that quick. Hold on, it was just on my phone. There it is. Okay. So from a 2019 study, the median uh, U.S. household income, I haven't been able to find it yet for 2020 and 2021. At the top is actually Indian Americans. Their median household income was $126,705. Mm-hmm. It goes from Indian American, Filipino, Pakistani, Iranian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Chilean, Syrian. Is it global scale? Uh, no, just right here in the U.S. Oh, wow. Bolivian Americans, Cambodian American, uh, Panamanian Americans, all of them, and then it gets to white Americans. Their median household income was sixty nine thousand eight hundred twenty three dollars. Black Americans, forty three thousand eight hundred sixty two dollars. Mm-hmm. So just you hearing those numbers, mm-hmm. you being in the financial world, <clears throat> why do you think we as Af- as African American community? are so far behind? So many things. Um, let me give you some more numbers before you before we go there. When we just talk about, just, just talking about compared to white Americans in 2020, as of 2020, we're talking about $154,000 net worth less than white America. At the net worth, we're talking about net worth. Mm-hmm. At the rate that we're going right now, it will take 228 to 240 years for us to close the gap. Just the way the numbers are right now. Just based off where we are right now. 228 wow. to 240 years. 
to close that gap. It's 48 million of us, okay? 48 million of us with $1.3 trillion of buying power. If we were just a nation, if we were just a nation, we'd be the 13th largest nation in the world based off buying power. Mm. Yet, like you said, when it comes to income and when it comes to net worth, I like net worth more than income because net worth is, is, is really telling us like where we stand and we at, we yeah. at the bottom um, under Hispanic America, right? First thing I like to say before I say anything about that particular question is it is a real thing. There are real obstacles. And I tell people all the time, um, I'm the founder of the Black Wealth Summit. We get black people from all over the country together every year. And one of the things that we stress is we are not going, yes, it looks bad. But at the same time, there are real logical reasons it looks bad right? There were real oppressive systems that we had to deal with and contend with. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, even now, right? So you look at stories a um, couple of years ago, maybe two years ago in Jacksonville, um, mortgage company, I won't mention their name, but literally in 2020, 2021, still 2022, Realtors all over the country are having their black clients whitewash their homes before yes. they get them appraised. I have seen that. I, I, right? I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. They're having them whitewash, whitewash their homes. Take all your pictures of black Jesus, your family, your uncle, Pookie and Ray Ray and mm -hmm. them. Take all the pictures down before yep. we get this appraisal done because houses are appraising for a hundred to hundred and twenty thousand dollars less than the house right beside them simply because they're black. Yeah. So the first reason is that there are systems. We can't address this issue and 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 have the conversation without actually acknowledging the fact that there are oppressive systems that were in place and are still in place, right? The number one indicator of wealth in my industry. The number one indicator of wealth is home ownership mm -hmm. and retirement. Home ownership and retirement. Most African Americans have less than ten thousand dollars set aside for retirement. Right. We own homes less than any other group of people. Not because we can't. Not because we don't know any better. But because for so long, we weren't allowed to. In the homes we did get, people literally took them from us, right? So I don't want to undermine that and ignore that because that is a real fact, right? Um, Y'all probably seen the little, um, the meme conversation going around. There's a guy, uh, actually white guy on TikTok, and he pulls up this picture and uh, it's talking about the historical layout of, of, of the difference between black and white as far as land ownership. Mm. And somebody, they're going against affirmative action and talking about it's, it's so wrong, it's all this stuff, da, 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 da. And it has little Sarah up there. And little Sarah, obviously, in this skit that the guy does is, is a little white girl. And her father, well, it goes, let's start with her grandfather. Her great-grandfather was a slave owner who had hundreds of acres of land that he passed down to his son, her grandfather, right? 
-hmm. Whereas the little the black kids, great grandfather was a slave on her grandfather's plantation. He left land to his son, who's her grandfather. The black kids, grandfather left nothing to him. He was liberated. His grandfather received his freedom. Yay, I'm free. But free to what? He had no resources, no money, no land to call his own, no, no financial system to depend on. So what did he have to do? He had to go right back and work for the person who just quote unquote freed him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But he bought, her grandfather bought businesses and left it to her dad. Her dad now runs the businesses. She can afford to go to the best schools, get the best education, get all this stuff. The black kid can't. Right? So part of that is just systems and the things that's going on in history. Because of that, because of that, because of those systems, what ends up happening is we end up, we we end up, in my opinion, and this is just this again, this is just me. We end up giving theology theology to our trauma. Right? <laughs> yeah. So for me, for me, for JB, as a raised by a single mom with four kids who made less than $600 a month, who when dad that house was in grade, she had never worked in her, they got married when she was 17. So when he left and decided he didn't want to be married no more, she had never had a job. She was a, she was an army wife oh. until then, right? So $600 a month, how do you reconcile the idea of a good God to a group of kids that don't know if they're going to have water when they get home, don't know if they're going to have food when they get home, don't know if their lights are going to be on. So what do we do? We theologize our trauma, right? Oh, well, blessed are the poor. They're going to see God. And I can't tell you how many times my mom and grandma were stressing that into us, right? As if our poverty somehow made us closer to God. Right. And so now I go, I go, I do all the stuff that I'm supposed to do. Right. My siblings and I all, all four of us, we go to school, we get the good jobs, we make good money. We do all of this stuff. I made my first six figures in corporate America in 2012. And I felt horrible. Why? Because all of my life, my theology has said that my poverty is what kept me close to God. The more money you had. So now I'm making reckless decisions. Now I'm spending frivolously. Now I'm giving. I'm donating. I'm even doing good stuff. I'm donating. My wife and I looked around and we had given, we had donated that year something like $30,000, $35,000. It wasn't because I would love to say that it was because we had amazing hearts. We think we're good people and we love to give. That is something we find joy and pleasure in. But it was really, I was fearful that I was on my way to hell because I had now assembled and amassed resources. So it took me years to unprocess the trauma-filled theology that said it's okay for me to have resources. It's okay for my kids to be taken care of. It's okay for us to be successful and still be godly. We don't have 
you jerks. So, and this is a real thing. Um, Dennis writes about it in the book, The Black Tax, right? There, this is a real thing. So I got the, the I got the, the obstacles that I had to deal with, and now I got the trauma of the poverty that I had to deal with, making me make irrational decisions. And now I feel disconnected from God because I've chosen to be resourceful and intentional. So I got to undo all of that stinking thinking, all of that trauma-filled theology to just to now get me to this place where I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, money, money, money ain't bad. It's the love of money yeah. that's the root of all evil. If I know and understand that money is a resource, money is a tool, and yeah. I know how to properly handle it and use it, not let it use me, mm. I can do a lot of good with a lot of money. Yeah. Right? But I got to undo that, that trauma-based theology first. Right? I got to understand that, that it is God's will that I prosper and hell, even as my soul prospers. Yes. It ain't a problem for me to prosper. It's a problem if I prosper financially without prospering in my soul. Now, that's right. the dangerous part. For me to right. prosper financially without prospering in my soul, that's the danger, right? I don't need, I, it's, it's, it's dangerous to prosper financially, but I'm, but I'm struck out on cocaine because I got just enough resources to kill me. It's dangerous if I prosper financially and I got this, this, this pornography addiction or this alcohol addiction or all of these things because I might have just enough resource to kill me. But if I prosper as my soul prosper, if I prosper and my heart is pure, if I prosper and my intentions are godly, if I prosper as my soul prosper, now I can say, okay, God, what do you want done and accomplish in the earth with these resources that I have? But I have to undo that theology first in order to be in a position to do that. And then thirdly, after we after we deal with the issue of the setbacks, after we deal with the issues of the trauma-based theology, now I'm starting a 100-yard sprint when my competitor already has a 70-yard head start. Now I got to do the makeup. Now I got to try to chase them down. And then we don't have any examples. We don't have models. We don't have a lot of models. We don't have a lot of examples, right? We don't know how difficult the road is supposed to be, mm -hmm. right? And we're, and we're also a part of what many would call a microwave generation where we want stuff right now. And so you combine all of that into this third pot. And now it's like, oh, well, you know what? I worked for three years, busted my butt. And not a million yet. Like, duh. You see, you see little Susan and little Jessica who are millionaires because they have four generations laid out to them, not realizing the, the matriarch or the patriarch who actually established that it took them a generation to build it and they've preserved it through time. Right? And so somebody in our some we have to have groups of people who say, hey, I'm going to be the one who makes sure that I don't get blinded or sidetracked by the, the, the obstacles. I don't get blinded and sidetracked by the seemingly um, length of time that it's taking me to amass wealth and amass resources. And we got to get ourselves into a place where we're doing exactly what you brothers are doing, having difficult conversations. We would be so much further along as black people if we just talked about money regularly. Yeah. If we just had the conversation. Yeah. 
we just had the conversation. I'm a part of Mastermind in Travis Rez. I am the only black guy in the Mastermind. I am one of maybe only two or three business owners that make less than seven figures a year. And every conversation we have as a group, we can be talking about sports, we can be talking about food, we can be talking about somebody's business. There isn't gonna be a time that these, and I, I, I love them all and they're great guys, but there ain't a time when these white boys come together where they ain't talking about money and how they can make money, what they doing with their money. Hey, where are you investing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What type of what type of investments you got? What's your portfolio look like? What type of insurance you got? How much you got? How much you doing? What's, it's just not, it's, there's not a time that they get together that, that, does, that they're not kicking those conversations around and challenging each other to do better in those, right? Mm-hmm. And we get together and we'll talk about everything except money, right? Mm. And so I think that those things combined gets us where we are today. The beautiful part is, go back to that $1.3 trillion buying power number that I mentioned earlier, right? $1.3 trillion of buying power. We can leverage that buying power if we start having the right conversations and start educating ourselves on what to do, how to do it, right? People don't, so many people don't realize that if you leave your child your retirement check from work, they got to pay taxes on that if you die. You leave that child life insurance, they don't pay taxes on that when you die, right? We just had a guy in Macon, Georgia, a little over $10 million, but I'm going to use 10 for easy math. He's 71 years old, a little over $10 million of assets and just kind of like, what do I need to do in his retirement portfolio? And he's preparing, trying to make sure that his kids and grandkids are okay. And he understands if I died last night, I'm going to leave $10 million to my kids. He has a daughter and a son. I'm going to leave $10 million to them. But in all actuality, between the state of Georgia and the federal government, Uncle Sam, $5 million of that is going to pretty much go in taxes off rip. So he thinking he's going to leave his son and his daughter $10 million, ends up leaving them two point five dollars apiece technically, if you were to die last night, right? And so we literally took $1 million of that 10 million, said, okay, we're going to set this money over here. And for the next 10 years, we're going to pay $100,000 a year for life insurance. When people hear that, they're like, oh my God, $100,000 a year, that's expensive. That's a lot. Nothing's good or bad unless you got something to compare it to. He said, Good man does what? Leave an inheritance for who? His children's children. Took $1 million, turned it into a $4.5 million life insurance policy and growing. So it's growing every year too. So it's going to be more than that the longer he lives. But let's just straight 4.5 million. 4.5 million, 1 million gone. So he has 9 million still left in the retirement account. 4.5 4.5 million of tax-free insurance. And what happens instantly? Instead of Uncle Sam getting five, they're going to get 4.5, right? They're going to get 
They still got 4.5, right? But now I can leave one child 4.5 million and leave the other child 4.5 million as opposed to leaving each child 2.5 million. That's 4 million more than what he would have left. Yeah. Who wouldn't trade 1 million for 4 million? Yeah. Right? And if somebody had had that conversation with him when he was our age, that 100,000 a year would have got him closer to 10, 12 million life insurance, right? Same thing, we're so, we're so, we don't, we're afraid of what we don't know. And so just having conversations, we know stuff like that. I have another guy, another client in Charleston who had money going into a 401k for 16 years, but nobody ever sat down with him to see what the 401k was doing. And for 16 years, been putting the money in cash. For 16 years, put money in cash. So, yeah, it's good that he got some money set aside and, and a good bit, a good bit of money set aside, close to like $1,600,000, I mean $600,000. But imagine what that $600,000 would have been had it actually been being invested in the stock market over 16 years. That's true. You got a couple million by now. Exactly. But just because we're just not having these conversations, right? We go into our silos and we do it for everything, not just finances. We go into our silos, we suffer in silence, and we 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 try to figure it out. And what we don't know, we let our pride and our arrogance get in the way of us finding out. I tell people in a heartbeat, man, I do not know everything. I do not know everything. Um, Sean, who introduced us. I'll pick up the phone. There's sometimes Shauna hit me up. Hey, JB, man, I'm trying to do this for a client. And we're, we're not affiliated with the same companies or anything. We just two dudes that love God and want to see people win, right? So he'll pick up the phone. JB, man, I got a question. I don't know what I need to do with this. I'll pick up the phone. Dude, hey, I'm lost on this investment piece thing right here. What does this do? What would you do in this situation? And we figure it out. Like, we cannot let what we don't know stop us from growing and moving forward. And if we ever get over our fear of the unknown, we can transform our lives in dramatic fashion. I believe there, there, there are a couple of things I believe that we can do that can change, that can move the needle. And it don't want, it won't take us 200 plus years to close that gap. The first thing is doing what y'all are doing right now. So thank y'all. Sparking conversations, talking about money. That's the first thing. The second thing that we need to do once we have the conversations, now we need to start getting real intentional about understanding how money works in the lines of budgeting and managing our debt. Then we need to start really, really getting intentional and understanding the power of credit and how credit works and understanding it because the reality is I see multi-million dollar companies all the time. And when I look at their balance sheets, guess what? They have millions sometimes, millions in debt. We've been taught, get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt. Where they're taught, get that debt and use somebody else's money to build your wealth. And if it don't work out, do like your world leaders and file bankruptcy and walk away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And it's so crazy. It's yeah. so crazy. Right. And I'm not telling people to do that. We don't want to. I, I, you never want to file bankruptcy. Um, that's, that's always the last option. So I'm not telling anybody to do that. But I'm saying the conversations are different. Mm -hmm. Right. We're so focused on surviving that we can't think clear enough to see how can we actually thrive.
Mm. Not realizing everything we need to thrive is right there in Christ Jesus. It's right in the scripture. Like the Bible talks about saving. The Bible talks about investing. The yep. Bible talks about entrepreneurship. The Bible. I mean, the, the Bible is so like bountiful on all of these things. Like Old Testament beginning in on entrepreneurship. Like, oh, cast out thy bread on seven ways and watch it come back. Like, you don't know. You might get robbed. This ship might get robbed. This one might not make it on the, the trip all the way back. And then while your wheat is out on the sea trying to get to where it needs to be going, you need to be over here planting some stuff, taking care of some crop, doing all this stuff, making something else, because you know which one of these things going to work out. Hey, but that, that's a white man religion, though. Right, right. But the early church that's, is Ethiopia. The early church, right, right. <laughs> and, and all of these secrets, and, and, and everything, I've, I've not, and I'm going to say this, and I don't, I, don't, I mean, it's y'all podcast. Ain't mind y'all do what you're right <laughs> um, I, I leave y'all to deal with it. Show me one new age principle that you can't find in scripture. Show me one. Everybody want to be woke. You just want to pull out the best parts of scripture? And I, like the Bible says that, bro. Oh, we need to meditate. The Bible says that. Yep. You, you should have been meditating. I can't get down with Christians. They don't meditate. Well, like you supposed to, they supposed to. So you're going to let what one person on, don't do. Right. What you meditate? No, right. <laughs> meditating on his work. Like, like what, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Oh, well, no, but I, I can't deal with that because you know, you know, Jesus was really, really black. The Bible says that. Yeah. <laughs> like who else, you know, got bronze skin and wool like hair. <laughs> like, I'm like, what book are you reading? Like what? Oh, you know what? The law of attraction. Of, nah, bro. That's in that's in scripture. It's in scripture. And they're taking scripture and they're marketing it and they're making it sexy and they're pimping it. And the, 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 the thing about it is laws work regardless of who work them. Thank you. My only challenge to the church is won't we start trusting our own laws, put them into work so that people half of the time I don't blame folks. I want if if your God make you dusty and busted and broken and distressed. I don't want to have nothing to do with him either. <laughs> That's how the majority of us walk around. Oh. That's so we, 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 we got a lot of work to do on our own, but everything we need is there. Everything that we need is there. And so I'm super excited because just as challenging of times as times are financially, I believe that God is about to raise up leaders like yourselves and so many other people who don't mind speaking truth to power and who don't mind extolling and lifting up the cross and lifting up Jesus high. And we don't need no gimmicks. We don't need, we don't need to do anything. The, 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 I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and I can, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. My son do what I do. Yeah. And so we don't have to have arguments. We don't have to do nothing. All we got to do is walk in excellence. We got to walk in truth, walk in power, like let God live through us and we ain't got to say much. When we do that, we ain't got to say much. When we actually start being the lenders and not the borrowers, we ain't got to say much. When we actually start fund, we're the we're sitting at the venture capitalist seat. We ain't got to say much. When our businesses are the fastest growing privately held companies in America, there are three privately held companies in Greenville that are booming up the Forbes list of fastest growing privately held companies in the country. Not one of them owned by white, uh, owned by black person. When we own those companies, when we're hiring 10, 15, 20, 30 people a year 
expanding and doing all this stuff, we ain't got to say much. Your gift is going to make room for you when the when when the church comes together, we bring stability to the government instantly and resources, our, our gifts, our leadership, our admin. There's not a group of people more creative than black people. There's nothing we can't do and can't do well. I mean, we have a history of that. Streetlight, cotton gin, I mean. Everything, right? And so all we have to do is be intentional to, okay, God, what is it that you're wanting us to do? When we yeah. show up and we be intentional in those capacities and we start seeing the success, it's going to bring attention. People are going to start looking at you who who don't believe what you believe, right? But we got to be able to then point back to Jesus and not, oh, well, you know, I'm just super smart, attractive, and a great marketing genius. That's why I'm successful. No. Like, he gave me the authority. He gave me the ability to create wealth. That togetherness, like that's one one big thing that I've been big on too, is that the church was so divided, and we let the simplest things divide us. And so, I'm I'm sorry. I know I don't know if this was the, the direction y'all wanted this conversation no, this to go about. Perfect. I I got some time. If y'all want to ask some specific retirement <laughs> questions and investment questions, I I can answer that stuff. We but, can uh, I can answer that stuff. <laughs> you literally I just asked you one question and you didn't answer like four of the other questions I was going to ask so ain't, ain't no point of me even saying this, none of that but um <laughs> so I think you hinted I think you, you hit on it but I'm going to ask it again just to make so I can make sure do you think do you think we as black people as African Americans are we more so right now, do you think we're still kind of married to the trauma that has happened to us over the years and that's why we haven't made that progress? I think we are partially. I think I think we're married to to, to some of that. Um, to what I said earlier, I do believe we deal with some of that trauma. Um, but I also believe in addition to dealing with some of that trauma, um, we, we have comparison issues. Mm. Again, back to back to Sarah, back to um, Scott and Bob and William. We're comparing ourselves because we look around and we're like, man. And well, at least I know I've done it right. When I first started my business, and the financial service industry is one of the most cutthroat industries in the world, bro. Okay, mm. and when you walk in, regardless of what company you write, when you walk in everybody's number and how much money they made that week is on the board, how much money they made the week before. And you're either at the top or you're at the bottom. And everybody's fighting to be at the top, right? Everybody's fighting to be at the top. And I have white guys, my first couple of years, I was consistently outperforming them, right? They're buying new cars. They're buying houses downtown, Augusta Circle, and Chanticleer, and all of this. And I'm like, I'm out producing these jokers and I can't afford none of that. What's going on? Like, what's wrong with me? Right? And I'm sitting down and I'm talking, you know, and we're comparing and we're getting frustrated and we're throwing in the towel way too soon. And, you know, I'm talking to one of my buddies, white guy, and I'm like, dude, like, man, congratulations. We're, we're out. We're playing. He's uninvited me out to Shannon here. 
play golf with him out in Chanticleer, and he's new spot, and he got his little house out in Chanticleer, and he was doing his thing. It's like, man, JP, man, I just wanted to bring you out here. I wanted to pick your brain, man. Like, what are you doing? How are you so successful? I'm like, dude, how are you buy a house out here? I'm I'm kicking your butt on the board. What's going on? You know, and I ain't say that, but that's what I wanted. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what are you talking about? You're trying to pick my brain? You what is this? You're trying to kick me while I'm down? I'm sitting out here looking at your million dollar house in Chanticleer. What? But at, by the end of the conversation, he makes a statement. He's like, yeah, you know, I just, I got, I got to really, really turn it on because, you know, my grandpa, his grandfather is giving him $250,000 a year for five years to get his business started. Wow. $250,000 a year. I didn't have $250,000 a year to get my business started. That's $1.2 million. I'm busting my butt, right? But I still, and, and the problem is I'm comparing, that's who I'm comparing myself to, right? So I'm thinking in my head before I knew about grandpa, I'm thinking in my head, I'm doing this, I'm doing the work, I'm working hard, I'm pushing, I'm busting my tail, I'm missing time with my family, I'm doing all the things, and they're sending me plaques and stuff. Man, I got plaques in boxes, I still ain't open. I'm like, don't send me a plaque, send me a bonus check, right? <laughs> like, I got all of these, I'm doing all of this stuff, and I'm like, what are, what is he doing? But at the end of the day, once, once it, it, it hit, there's no way I could have competed with him. Mm. Right. And so my comparison of myself to him only made me feel like a failure, only slowed me down and stopped me from moving forward with as much momentum as I was. And then eventually I build my momentum back up and then I start comparing myself to somebody else. Oh, well, yeah, my dad gives me seventy five thousand a year. Uh, da, 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 da. And like this stuff was just coming. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, my dad was with my dad was in the industry and I took over his business. And he helped me his whole book of business. So year one, you make a million dollars, that residuals of 43 years. It's so people say it all the time, but I can't reiterate it enough. Comparison is the thief of all joy. Mm. So yeah, we're dealing with the trauma, but we got to stop comparing ourselves to other people and not be afraid to redefine the American dream. I don't, my, my American dream ain't like everybody else's American dream, Right. I don't care to be downtown Greenville in multi-million dollar house and all that kind of We got to redefine that. Like, what is your personal dream? What is it that God's saying for you? Mm. And stop letting other people define what success looks like for you. We got to put blinders on and we got to get a real sense of what does success mean for us? And set that example for our family, for our households, and we got to go after that, not going after all this other stuff. I know way too many people that got multi-million dollars and miserable. I don't want to be that dude. Yeah. Right. So we got to redefine what that what that is, and we got to start continue having these conversations. Start, you know, we 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 spend too much time arguing about um, majoring on the minor. Yeah. Right. Oh, should I be investing? Should I be doing real estate? Should I do life insurance? Should I do this? Should I let my wealthy clients ain't debating those things? They're doing all of it. They got investments, they got insurance, they got real estate, they own businesses, they're doing all of it and they're doing it together. Yeah. They're doing it together. And we just gotta get out of our own way. Um, we 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 have 
trust issues in our community. So we got to get out of our own way. We got to get down, knock the trust out and learn how to do group economics and cooperative economics and build together and define our own American dream for ourselves. Um, Dr. Pamela Jolly has an amazing book, A Wealth Our Way. And I think she communicates it better than anybody else. Like we have to define what wealth looks like for us and not letting other, other majority populations do that for us. Wow. That's not ever okay. good, I'll say. So I want to ask this because now I'm I might make this the last one. Do you think it's possible for because you you've mentioned on several occasions how you have actually had conversations with your with your white coworkers with with those of, of other races and y'all are talking about money. I'm I'm not trying to I guess it is kind of a shameless book, but I'm not trying to. So I'm getting into the insurance business myself. Love it. Every last one of my trainers are white. My managers are white. But when I tell you, anytime I have a question, they're like, hey, what's up? I can teach you. But the one that brought me in, he's like, I'm about to teach you every last thing that I know. I'm like, coming from our community, I haven't always seen it. Do you think it's going to be, can we ever get to the point where we, our people as a whole, can kind of take their guard down to engage in those conversations with the white man? I, I hate to say it like that, but you know, that's, no, no. that's kind of how, how we think. Do you think we'll ever get to what we can kind of let their guard down, have that conversation, take their knowledge and bring it back to our people so that we can start building like we need to? So, yes, that's yes, I think I think so. And, and it's happening. Right. As a matter of fact, um, my family, my family and I, we're going back to D.C. Um, August 5th through the 10th. Right, we're going back up to DC. Before you keep going, let, let me say this to those who's going to listen to this via audio or if you're watching the video. If y'all follow us for any amount of time, I'm I'm not against white people or nothing like that at all. All of them are not bad. I, I, we said this, we've been redundant. All yeah. white people are not bad. All black people are not bad, and vice versa. Everybody ain't good. Everybody ain't you know. You gotta take everything case by case. All right. So in no way am I saying that white people are bad or nothing like that. I just want to make sure I say that. All right, go ahead, bro. No, not at all. And I agree with you 100%. Um, but yeah, but we're going up to D.C. And um, we're going to the conference for African-American financial professionals, right? And so I'll be at the conference. My family will be hanging out, sightseeing and stuff without me as my daughter stands here and stare at me. Um, but um, so so literally, there that's happening, right? That is happening right now. There are people... Um, that are putting their egos aside. Um, I have, when I first got started in this industry, much like you did, I've been in this industry now for eight years. And every mentor I had when I started was was an older white man. Mm -hmm. um, and I have so many amazing Black men and women in my life now that serve as guides and mentors and peers, um, study groups. Like I said, folks from different companies, 
all kinds of stuff, putting together study groups. How can we be successful? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? Um, and, and so it, it is happening. Um, the, the, the reality is, Dr. King said this, and he said, we're not so much, um, we're not so much divided as we're disconnected. Mm. There's less than 1% of the industry of the financial service industry is black. So reality is there's just not a lot of people for you to go to. All right. Less than 1% of the industry is black. So that's the first problem. Then with that 1%, we're all spread out everywhere. And so we have to be intentional to get connected and to make sure folks are successful. So I'm telling you on the recording, everything, anything I can ever do to help you out, I'm all in. I've done MDRT. I've done all this stuff. Anything I can do to be a resource to in any way, don't hesitate. Reach out to me. Let me know. That's that's literally what it's all about. And it takes us being intentional. Um, another thing, I'm gonna quote Dr. Jolly again, but she says we have to do we have to do well so that we can do good. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is that there's so many people trying to do good who are not doing well. And it and 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 it it it's it's almost like on that plane flight, right? When they say in the case in the case of emergency, if we lose cabin pressure, please secure your own oxygen mask first before yeah. you attempt to help somebody else. And we got so many amazing, great-hearted people trying to help everybody else put their oxygen mask on without theirs, and we all die. Yeah. And so we got to do well so that we can do more. And so. If we're going to see that change from 1% to 3% to 5% to whatever, you got to be a six-figure producer. You got to be an MDRD, MDRT producer. You got to have success and longevity and not be in the industry three months and then like, man, bump that. That's too hard. Yeah. Right? So it starts with us just showing up and being and doing well in whatever we do. Operating in excellence and doing well in whatever we do, and then we can do more, and we can we can have impact, and we can do that. But I do believe it's coming. It's just we're less than one percent of the industry, and so yeah. we got a long way to go. Yeah, man. So get plugged in with the Conference of African American Financial Professionals. Shameless plug through the American College. No matter what company you with, you get all the resources you need at your fingertips. Yeah. So, man, listen, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. We want to give you anything you want to say to those that's going to listen, anything that's on your heart that you want to you just want to say to encourage everybody or just to push them in a certain direction. Well, yeah. I, first of all, thank you all so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed this. This is this struck a nerve with me. I could talk about this stuff all night. Like this is it, my wife be laughing because she just be like, oh, Lord. Um, but um, thank you all for having me. The only thing that I will that I want to say is um, just like the Gospels, right? Like I, I never like to have a conversation and, and have it feel like doom and gloom. Like there is good news. Like there, there, there is. We have everything that we need in Christ to change whatever situations we have. If you don't like your current financial situation, there is a way to shift that to change that. Um, the Bible says that anything that is seen is temporary. Yep. Um, anything that is unseen is eternal and people all oftentimes try to over spiritualize that but one of the one I love that as a financial 
barometer. It kind of keeps me from getting too high and keeps me from feeling too low. Um, if you have everything that you could want and then some right now, just because you can see it means it's temporary. I mean, at the end of the day, it may or may not be there. However, on the flip side, if things look like they're horrible, if your credit score starts with a three or four, if your bank account starts with a negative, any of that stuff you can see, you can change. Anything that can be seen can be changed. It's temporary. And we are, uh, there are so many people in our community, like yourself, like myself, Sean, so many others that are more than willing to help get a grip of what they need. Uh, we do free written financial plans for people. You don't have to do business with us. You don't have to do none of that. We do a free full written financial plan for you. Consultation, everything. You get the plan. You do what you want to do with the plan. You can go call your uncle Buki and Ray Ray and do whatever, get him to help you implement it. You can do whatever you want to do with it. Our goal is to make sure every single person we come in contact with has a written financial plan. And that's where it all starts. Just having, you know, the Bible is so clear. Um, and I, I'll say this, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when, when, when Moses is getting ready to build a tabernacle for the first time and he'll know what he's doing and he's getting instructions and he's frustrated and he's angry and his little temple's flaring off and he's pouting and all this stuff is going on. And he goes and he gets instructions from God. God tells him how to build a tabernacle, what dimensions to make it, what materials to use, everything. Because Moses has a plan, he's able to articulate that plan to those in his family and those connected to him and the children of Israel. He's able to, to, to communicate that plan to them. And the Bible says that they start bringing, people start bringing resources to him. They start bringing money. They start bringing gold. They start bringing fine linens, Arcadia woods, all of this stuff. They start bringing to him so much so until Moses has to say, y'all bringing me stuff I don't, we don't need no more and if you if you want to read it's like exodus 34 through 36 i believe it is mm -hmm. and he's like don't stop bringing this stuff we don't need no more and after he gets all the resources that he needs the bible says that every manner of skilled laborer came to him like oh i can do this i can do that i can do this much of what we're praying for and hoping for from god we're asking god to do God's given us a plan for it. and we want a miracle when God wants us just to be disciplined. Ooh. We're waiting for a miracle. We're waiting for manna from heaven and God's just like, just be disciplined. Just be consistent. Just be dis disciplined. Create a plan and work the plan. And so I just want to say that there is hope. You don't have to stay where you are. Create a plan. If you don't know how to create a plan, reach out to us. Reach out to the high definition. Reach out to somebody that can point you in the right direction. Create a plan and just be disciplined. We're praying for stuff that God's already given us victory over. And we're wondering why he's silent because he's already told us what to do. And we're just not being disciplined. Yeah. <laughs> we're just not doing it. We're just not doing it. So. Wow, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank y'all, man. Thank uh, y'all for having you. me. I've enjoyed oh, it. And this definitely won't be the last time we have you on. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, Let's man. do it. Thank y'all so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah.
Hang tight for for the for the after party. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, sir, for yes, sure. Y'all, listen. This is another episode of High Definition Podcast. I'm Maurice, and I'm Therese. Y'all remember to live life from the highest definition. We're gonna catch y'all in the next episode.